right. If you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I, I just kind of, I don't mean to be too personal, but um, how many of you have lost weight during this COVID run here? Anybody lost weight? Uh, we don't like any of you. But um, how many of you gained weight? Any? No. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Okay, there's some confession. I, I'll tell you this. Um, when I come here on Sunday mornings, I get here fairly early, and I, I normally just kind of wear my T-shirt or a different shirt so I don't wrinkle my shirt while I'm putting last-minute touches and prayer time uh, before we, we come together. And uh, <clears throat> so this morning, I wore my T-shirt here, and then I was going to put on this shirt. Well... I'm 15 pounds heavier than I was last time I wore this shirt. <laughs> so anyway, I, I don't like any of you who've lost weight whatsoever. Um, but anyway, just pray I can get this back off. Well, we are continuing our study in James chapter 1. And of course, we're looking at the idea of faith that works. Uh, I have to go back from, to last week. As some of you may have the digital outline pulled up. There should be two outlines there because I got to finish last week's before we get into this week. And I'll be very brief. Uh, we'll get through it, so don't worry about that. But I will be giving you a lot of information. I apologize for that, but we got to move on to the next text next week. So last week, we were looking at the whole idea of the maturing faith. And uh, if you look at verse 1, it says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Two things we can pick up from here. First of all, James is the author. He's the writer of this letter. Uh, he is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, he's uh, the pastor of one of the most influential churches during that time, the church in Jerusalem. And so, therefore, he has a lot of credibility when it comes to, to help shaping what Christianity is going to become. Now, the purpose of the book is to practically demonstrate the correlation between the true follower of Jesus and his or her behavior. The introduction, trials, problems, disappointments can be expected in this fallen world, but they don't have to be wasted. God can use these to develop and mature your faith. Those with a mature faith have the potential to live above trials and not under them, and not under them. So today, what the Word of God is going to declare to you is that you don't have to live under the circumstances. You don't have to live under the trials. You can live above those trials. And that's how he's going to conduct himself as he tells us this in this, in this passage. So look at verse 2. James says, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The first thing we saw last week are the possibilities of trials. And the, first, the thing we pointed out is that they're intended to bring about evaluation. So when a trial comes to your life, he says, count it all joy. And the reason he tells you to count it all joy is, you, what's, what's God up to? Why has he allowed this in my life? What's he trying to do? How, what's he trying to do through my life and in my life? And so this is the whole idea of evaluating our faith at that time. A second thing that we learned is that the, the trials are intended to produce joy, to produce joy. And you may say, how does it do that? based on the trial I'm dealing with. Well, I don't know other than the Bible says. No, I'm just kidding. But the point is, it's that joy of knowing that God is working in and through you. And then last week, we looked at the problem with trials. And the first thing we know is that they will come. It's a part of this life. Uh, it just comes with the territory. Uh, we deal with trials. And then, of course, they come, will come in many different colors. They come in so many different variations, from, from relational trials to health trials to circumstances to issues, whatever it may be. Now, where we're picking up this week is here, 
the process of trials. What, what's the process? What does it look like? Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, this verse means you can count a trial as a joy because, as I said before, God is up to something in your life. So what's, what's happening here? Well, first of all, there is the testing of your faith. The first time we have, and someone has kind of helped me see some things, uh, give me insight into some of this passage here. The first mention we have of a testing is in Genesis chapter 22. Can you, can you remember what that was all about? First time we see any idea of testing from God to someone. It's Abraham. What does he say? I want you to take Abraham up. Uh, there's going to be a sacrifice, all this. Abraham, we saw he's a, he's a father of faith. He's a, a, a faith warrior, so to speak. And all of a sudden, he's there. What's happening there, if you don't know the story between Abraham and Isaac, is he's testing Abraham, the testing of faith. The next time we find this is in the book of Exodus, where we basically have this idea of manna. Now, how many of you know what the manna was? It was to feed the people in the wilderness. And it's there, and it, it's basically every morning when they would awaken, the manna would be laid out there for them. And it was that matter of trust that God would provide on a daily basis. Each day that they wake up, that would be there. And so we see there's testings all through Scripture. And literally, a test means to prove something, to prove something. It's a term that was used to try metal to see if the metal was genuine. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The whole idea of our faith is put in place that it may bring glory to the heart of God, that it would honor God, that we have a faith in him. Now, one thing that we all know about faith is that it will be tested. I guarantee you, in some way, your faith was tested last week. In some way, your faith was tested. A person has said that a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. How many of you, if you went out on a boat, and all of a sudden the boat started to sink, out there in the middle of the ocean, how many of you would want a flotation device that had been tested or you just, just give me whatever you got up there. Doesn't matter. Just throw it out here. It'll help. No, you want something that's tested. You want something that you can depend on. Something that's going to keep you upright and keeps you alive. It's interesting, Peter. We love Peter in Scripture, don't we? He's, a, he's the one that always, you know, gets, he, he, he speaks before he thinks sometimes. And, and Jesus is up there and he's talking about all the horrible things that's going to happen to him at, at the hands of the people. They're going to crucify him. They're going to be, Peter stands up and said, Lord, that, that ain't, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to see to it that doesn't happen. You remember him doing that? And all of a sudden, what do we find? He's denying they even knew him three times. You see, he thought he had a strong faith. He thought there was something in him that, that had been tested, which obviously had not. In chapter 1, James is making a contrast between testing from God and temptations from the enemy. If you were to study the whole chapter in its entirety, you'll see that Paul, excuse me, James starts with this idea that sometimes God brings a trial to test us. But then he talks about the enemy brings temptations to destroy us. 
And that's what we find here. So he's making this contrast. God allows trials or problems into our lives to test us, to bring out the best in us, to, to bring growth into our lives, to develop us, to mature us. The enemy, however, brings temptation into our lives to bring out the worst in us, to attempt to destroy us and to turn us from God himself, to destroy our faith. So what you have here, James is basically saying, there's going to be a lot of things that come at you in your life. A lot of things. There's going to be times where a trial's going to come. You're going to need to be discerning. You're going to be, need to be wise in these things. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. And he says also, it's not just God bringing things to your life, life or allowing those things to come to your life. The enemy has a plan too. And he's going to bring certain things into your life. God's intention is to mature you, to grow you as an individual. The enemy's intention to ruin and destroy you. And he's very clear on that. Now, look on your outline. A trial is a process of teaching you patience. Again, this word patience seems to come up a lot in scripture. How many of you, when you hear the word patience, it's almost like you have a negative gut reaction to it? Well, you just need to be patient. <laughs> Don't you just want to hit somebody when they say that? <laughs> I mean, really, just, just be patient. And it's that whole idea. Now, the word knowing, look at verse 3 again. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The word knowing there is a knowledge. It's not a head knowledge. It's literally something that you've experienced before, and you're counting on something, somewhat of the same outcome uh, that you had before. And then it says this, the idea of produces. It produces uh, 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 patience. It works patience. It's a term that simply applies, implies this, that something is being worked down in us. Now, are there times where you feel like something is being worked into your life? Have you ever felt that? To me, that's spiritual growth. Something that's working in us, all right? It's not only working in us, it's working us to maturity. It's working us to what he says, completion. Now, without patience, we miss most of what God is showing us about himself, about life, and even about ourselves. And so when we become impatient and we just react with some bad attitude and we go on and we get a chip on our shoulder or we go in and have our pity party and we're not patient through it and enduring through it, then we can totally miss what God wants to work into our lives. Now, how many of you have been around two-year-olds? Not a lot of patience there, is it? But how many of you have ever been around 20-some-year-olds that are just like a two-year-old? Have you ever done that? 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50. Okay, getting a little close. Okay, but anyway, but, but it happens. Some people never, never let this work happen in them and through them because they're constantly, they just have this uh, reaction and they miss what God possibly wants to work in them. Patience does not just mean to grin and bear something. It's not, whew, Glad that's over with. Man, they're about to drive me slap crazy. That's not what this is. How many of you have been there, though? It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's that idea that it speaks of staying power. It speaks of endurance. It means keep on keeping on when you don't feel like keep on keeping on. No matter what the circumstance. It means to stay long enough to see the purposes of God work in and through your life. That's what patience does. Next. The purpose of trials. Look at verse 4. It says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be 
perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, it's very interesting, the word perfect there, in most translations, it says mature. And that's really the better word here. But let patience have its mature word. Let it ha- that you be, may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So God is working his plan through a process to bring about his purposes. Now, how do we know that? Because of the phrase, may be, in this verse. That it may be mature. It's bringing something. So the purpose of trials, look on the outline, is to bring about maturity in you. And guess where it begins? They're bringing humility. Humility. Now, pride causes us to totally miss the mark. Pride has never and will never elevate you to the the place you think you are. There's so much deception that surrounds pride. I mean, that's where everything begins to crumble when pride enters the picture. You see, faith is, you can't have faith and have pride at the same time. It's impossible. Pride is this idea of self-dependence. It's independent of anything else. And basically what he's saying here is anything that, if we're going to allow a work of God to work in our lives, it's got to begin with humility. Next, the purpose of trials to bring about maturity in you through weaning from the things of this world. Now, when I say the things of this world, I'm not talking about we need to go around as paupers and sell everything. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is when the things that we accumulate in this world, whether it's knowledge, material wealth, whatever it may be, when that begins to, uh, we, we become identified by those things, we've crossed a line we don't need to cross. See, our identity is not in what kind of car we drive or where our house is or, 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 or what we know or what kind of degrees we hold. It's not in there. Our identity is in Christ, according to Paul. Over and over again, he says that. So if our identity is in Christ, that supersedes anything else that our identity could be in. Okay, And so therefore, the greater work is happening up here. Now, when that greater, now, and let me say this to you, and, and this is going to sound cruel. Our, your, your identity, uh, even you who have children as a mom, your identity is part of your identity, but it's not your identity. You're not mom. Your, your main identity is in you're in Christ. Now, mom is important too. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, mom's important too. But everything that, that will affect everything else in your life will happen at this level. This is the level God wants to work in our lives. And he's saying, hey, here's one of the greatest ways I can work in your life is through that trial that comes into your life. If you're patient enough and you endure it long enough, you're going to see me do a work through that. And as a result of that, it will affect everything else in your life. Don't you think mom would be better if she had a little more patience? Don't you think dad would be better if he had? Again, it, where's your identity? So basically what, what he's trying to write here is this idea that we're winning from the world. Our, who we are, the greater work is not happening down here and what we can accumulate, but what's happening in us, that working that is going on in us. Next, the purpose of trials to bring about maturity in you through focusing on the eternal. You see, sometimes I'm convinced that trials come in to reset our perspective. How many of you at times in your life, you felt like you had the right perspective on things? You know, you you, you felt like you had the mind of God. 
and, and you're sitting there, and you're, you know, it's just like, yeah, this is the way I believe God would do it. And I, this is the way I'm operating my life. This really, but now somewhere you lose focus. And, and basically what we're talking about here is that idea of, of maybe refocusing ourselves. That, that we're not just living for this world, we're living more for the world to come. And sometimes those trials can blow us so far out of the water that it shakes our faith. For some of you, you've been shaken to the core. But it doesn't mean we give up on that. It means that we begin to realize there's an eternal perspective that God's trying to give us in and through the trial. Next, the purpose of trials, to bring about maturity in you through revealing what you truly love. Trials have a way of creating where your true priorities are. Isn't it, a matter how, isn't it amazing how someone will get a bad health report and everything before they heard that, their priorities were this. They get this report and their priorities change. Have you ever seen that happen? How about, you know, I mean, it can happen in so many different ways. And what he's saying here is count it all joy when those things come. Because they put you back on the right path. They give you the proper perspective. They give you a longing for the world to come, to detach from the world and embrace the things that are eternal. Next, the purpose of trials are to bring about completion in you. Look at verse 4. He says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. It means to literally to have all the parts to be fully equipped that no matter what the trial is, your faith will be intact. And not only will it be intact, it will be growing through what you're going through. Now, look on your outline. To bring about completion in you through demonstrating the value of God's blessings. You see, the person in the middle of a trial, I'm convinced that they're a true follower of Jesus. They don't, at that moment, they don't take God's word for granted. They, 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 they start looking to his care, his provision, his strength. They value those things that are blessings from God. It's amazing how everything can turn on news and, and a trial. Next, the purpose of trials will bring about completion in you through raising to greater usefulness of God's purpose. If you want God to do a work in your life, do a trial or problem, you've got to be a part of the cooperation. You've got to cooperate with them. What is James telling us? Where does, it, where does that cooperation begin? It begins with patience to, to hang in there, to allow God to bring revelation, to allow God to speak to that issue. So when trials come, maybe this is your prayer. Lord, I don't understand, but you told me to count it all joy, and I'm going to because I know that somehow you're working it all out for my good and for the good of those around me. God, I'm just going to trust you with this. You could even say, I don't get it, but I trust you. Next, I want us to look to the next sermon. We're going to jump right in. I promise I'll be brief. And it's really interesting the way James writes this letter. He begins talking about trials, and then he follows it up with this whole idea of wisdom. Now, when you're in the middle of a trial, what's one thing that you'd like to know? Especially if you believe your life is purpose, the one who created you, your Savior, is enacting in your life. Don't you want to know something about this trial? Don't you want to know what God is up to? It is during our trials and problems that we desire wisdom. Why are we going through this? How do we navigate through it? What should our attitude be? Well, look at the introduction there. Wisdom is not merely knowledge and intelligence. 
Wisdom is the ability to take that knowledge that you acquire and apply that knowledge to everyday problems and situations. Biblically, it is the ability to apply God's truth and judgments to your circumstances and trials that are in your life. It's the ability to take that. So put up that equation. Skip through all the other if you don't. There you go. Knowledge is not enough. Direction. Where, where are you getting direction from? Is it from God's truth? Is it from the world or whatever? You've got to determine. But when you begin to put that knowledge to some direction plus experience, that's when you have wisdom. That's where wisdom comes from. Now, let's talk a little bit about that. The first thing that we see in verse 5 is that there's a shortage of wisdom. How do we know that? Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom. Now, what does that imply? There's a lack of wisdom out there. Now, remember, it is possible to have much knowledge and know many facts, but have no wisdom. It's possible. Listen to this. We're living in what is called the information age. We live in the most knowledgeable generation in human history. However, we live where knowledge has been expanded and where wisdom is in short supply. Turn on the television. Listen to those making decisions. Look at what you're seeing out there. There's all kinds of knowledge. There's all kinds of things out there that are competing with one another. But what's really interesting is where wisdom needs to be enacted. This also means, I believe it also is in the Christian community. We have more access to sermons, teachings, Bible studies than any other time in history. You can pull up the greatest speakers in America who handled the word of God carefully and they're full of truth and they're all around us and it's at our fingertips. Yet we many times lack wisdom. Wisdom. We can't lift what's being said to our hearts and put it into life in our decision making. Someone has said, this is so good. We have the knowledge to go faster than sound, but lack the wisdom to know which way to go. Wow. That says it all right there. Job 32, 9 says this. Great men are not always wise. And that's so true. Knowledge is to accumulate facts, while wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge to everyday life. And he says, if you lack wisdom, ask. Ask. Think about that. We have the trial. That's where he started the conversation. Trials. Why is this in my life? How long is this going? What are you up to? It'll come from truth. Now, we need wisdom in these areas. And if you were to say, okay, um, I, I, get, I get what you mean. Knowledge and is not the same thing as wisdom, but where do I need wisdom? There's three main areas. Uh, we need wisdom in this timing Timing is, is, is very important when it comes to wisdom. We need to know when. How, how many of you have prayed for something for a long time and you didn't feel like you were getting any answers? Did you know there could be wisdom in that from God's perspective? Did you know that? There's times where I prayed for something over and over again, got discouraged, thought I was being patient in it all, and, and it's almost like God didn't have an answer. I didn't get anything. How many have ever been there? And then lo and behold, maybe a year later, for me, there's a couple episodes where it's several years later, all of a sudden God brings it forth. I get in the middle of it when he finally gives it to me and I realize I wasn't ready for it until then. 
You ever been there? I've been there very well. <laughs> I've definitely been there. The timing, choosing, the what. Much of wisdom is discernment, is discernment in choices. We have more choices now than we've ever had, ever had. Think about going out to eat. How many of you are just totally overwhelmed by all the different restaurants? Now, if you live in Shelby like we, like we all do, you're right, there's not so much. <laughs> but if you travel abroad like Gaston County, um, <laughs> there's much more selection out there. But, but there are, we have choices. I mean, choices upon choices. Someone said that our world today has too many choices. And we do, don't we? And we need wisdom more now than we've ever needed it. Once there was a husband who said to his wife, you've got to admit men have better judgment than women. Now, this is the stupid husband talking, not me, okay? You've got to admit men have better judgment than women. The woman readily agreed. Oh, that is definitely true. Just look at us. You married me and I married you. <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> Choices. We need wisdom in maturing as to why, as to why. You need wisdom so you will not waste the opportunity God gives to mature you. Wisdom is seeing life's trials, issues, and circumstances from God's perspective. And God wants to give you that. He says, if you lack it, ask. Look at verse 5 again. We see the source of wisdom. If, you lack, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask of God. Now, complete spiritual wisdom, listen, is not found from the world's perspective. And if it is, if there is something out there, it's always going to come short. It may contain elements of truth. It may contain elements of wisdom, but it won't be the complete picture. It won't be. That comes from Scripture. If you want wisdom, the Bible says you must ask. Proverbs 2, 7 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. The word wisdom, excuse me, the word give in James chapter 1 is a present participle which literally translates. This is pretty cool. So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask from the giving God. The giving God speaks of his nature. He's a giving God. Next, we see the secret of wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. The word ask is also a present participle, which implies a continual action of asking. Can I give you a better word for that? It's called begging. Begging. Have you ever begged before? Have you ever noticed how much humiliation is in begging? You're literally so vulnerable when you begin to beg. You're begging. It's coming from the depths of your heart normally when you're begging. Now, let me tell you what's not in play when you're begging. Your pride. Your pride is far gone when you begin to beg, right? Have you ever wondered, why does God want me begging? He wants you out of the way. He wants pride out of the way. He wants to get you to the point of desperation. He wants to get you to the point where what he says is the only thing that matters about your situation. He desires to carry you to that place. 
So the word ask here, literally, as you look at it, it literally means begging. When we start begging, then all pride goes out the window. Then we begin to have the right attitude to receive wisdom. It is a point of desperation where we empty ourselves of possible answers, solutions, and we begin to ask of him. God desires to meet with us and commune with us each day. Keep in mind that when we ask for wisdom, God doesn't give it all at one time sometimes. Sometimes it becomes a process, a process of trusting God and less dependence of ourselves and others. There's times where God just wants you to go to him. I can't tell you. I don't, it's, it's so funny how God, not funny, it's, it's predictable. But over these last three weeks, I've had people email me and what's interesting is sometimes there's a theme. And what I'll say is I've been praying for this one thing here. Let me tell you how God answered it. I think I've had three people in the last three weeks do that. And it's like, that's pretty cool. And what's interesting about that is, 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 is literally they go before God and they ask and they ask to the point where there's begging, I guess. And then all of a sudden there's a devotional that comes out of nowhere. And it speaks directly to the wisdom that they need about a situation. Has that ever happened to you? It's almost like you prayed and asked God for something, and then there it is. Sometimes it's the next day. How many of you love those answers? Sometimes it's Father. For some of you today, sitting in this room, you've been praying for something for a long time now, and you're getting answers right here in this sermon. You're beginning to see the parameter and the way God sees trials. And the way God, want, how God wants to do something in our life through that trial. Next, the secret of wisdom. We see the promise of your prayer. Verse 5. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Two things we point out, here, we see here. When you ask God for wisdom, we understand he gives it abundantly. Now, there may be a timing issue. There may be other things that have to develop in your life for, for the answer to come, for the wisdom to come. But he, here's what it's saying. When he gives it to you, it's abundant. That means you won't lack when it comes to what you need in that situation. It'll be clear what he's saying. Next, when you ask God for wisdom, he gives it freely. Verse 5 is a picture of someone standing there with extended hands waiting to give. But here's the problem for many of us. A lot of us, we're not ready to receive. There's something else going on. And, and, and y'all, that's the reason we need to be in communication with God. We need to learn to commune with Him. We need to learn to lean on Him, to trust Him, to, to reach out to Him when things go wrong. When trials come, we need to live there. Next, the problem with your prayer. The problem with your prayer, there's two things, there's two warnings he gives when we begin to pray in this way. When you ask God for wisdom with a doubting mind, you receive nothing. If, if you begin to ask, now this doesn't mean name it and claim it and I got named it, therefore God's got to come through. No, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. This has everything to do with, with there's something in your life that you're bringing before God. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be granted the way you desire it to be grant, granted, but it will be in the scheme of what he's doing in your life it will be granted. What he's working in and through you about. Okay? So look at verse uh, 1. I mean, excuse me, verse 6. 
but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Now, notice James writes, but let him ask in faith. He didn't write with faith. Faith is not something you add on. It's a part of who you are. It's your identity. It's the way you operate. It's your mode of operation. And that's what he's saying here. It's just, it's just you living out your Christian faith. That's what he's talking about. But then he says in verse 6, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. How many of you have noticed that wind and waves are very unpredictable? How many of you have ever been out on the open sea and some front come through? And boy, you really feel helpless and hopeless at <laughs> some of those times. I mean, it's amazing what can happen to the seas. And sometimes people live their lives not knowing because they're doubting. You see, faith and doubt cannot coexist. One will cancel out the other. Look at what he says in verse 7. For let that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Not receive anything from the Lord. It's the one who's praying with doubting. Now, what does this mean? Someone has said it this, this way. Pray and believe and you shall receive. Pray and doubt and you'll go without. Something to it, right? You see, God, listen to this. This is so important. God cannot honor our disbelief. You say, is God big on belief and faith? Oh, yeah. Look at some of the stories in the Old Testament. Look, look at the, the, the nation of Israel. Their unbelief cost them a lot over and over again. Their unbelief, listen to this, had a whole nation of people die in the wilderness because they didn't take God at his word. God said, go. And they said, No. A whole generation of people died there. Why? Wasn't anything other than unbelief. No faith in the God who wanted to provide. A second warning as it relates to prayer of faith. When you ask God for wisdom with a double mind, you receive nothing. Look at verse 8. He, he's speaking to this person who's doubting. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Double mind literally means a two-souled person, an unstable person. A person with divided loyalty. Even though he may profess to be a Christian or believer, his actions reveal otherwise. It means one minute they're living for the world, next minute they're asking of the Lord for, clar for clarification. It's amazing how many people blame God for something when, when, when they're so far out of touch with where he is. And they totally misread their life. It's not that God's misreading their life, they're misreading their life. And they're way out here somewhere over here, and God's over here. This is where he operates. And then they blame God. James 4.8 tells us that the double-minded person comes from a heart that is not pure and not capable of receiving wisdom. So what does all this mean? Some of you are going through trials, and you need answers because you lack wisdom. I guarantee that's most of you in the room. So, so pray, ask. But when you do, listen, listen, ask in faith, trusting God, not doubting. And the question really comes to this. Why do we not receive wisdom? Why is it some of you are sitting here today and you've prayed and you've asked for wisdom, you don't have it? Number one, it could just be a timing thing. You're not ready for the answer. God knows when that is. But for some of you, it's your pride. You're not to the point of desperation and begging yet. 
For others of you, it may be that you just don't, you're not so sure you can trust God with this matter. For others of you, maybe there's just sin that surrounds everything about what you're proposing and where you are. And if the answer did come, you wouldn't even be capable of seeing it. How many of you ever seen people so deceived they can't see anything? Sometimes when I turn on the news, it seems to be what I'm looking at. I mean, have you ever, have you ever sat there and wondered where common sense went? Have you ever? Have you, I mean, really, when it really comes down to it, you know what most of common sense is? Wisdom. And it's gone. It's gone. And that's the reason we see what we see. I want to close with two applications, one from the first sermon. I'll quickly go. When dealing with trials, you must look for the possibilities. The only way to see the possibilities is to see the big picture, see what God is up to. Would you say that the way you navigate through the trials, problems, and disappointments of your life prove the genuineness of your faith? And then secondly, Someone has said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart while wisdom is the ability to put things together. That's good stuff. Putting the word of God into your circumstance, allowing your circumstances to be interpreted by God himself. So where do you see yourself in the midst of your trials? More importantly, where do you see God in the midst of your trials? Your ability to see depends upon godly wisdom godly wisdom. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you now, and we just thank you so much for your word, and Lord, we just thank you that even as James is mentioning these trials, of course, we know in that time there was a lot of persecution going on, and uh, people were losing their lives in the midst of it all, and, but, but Father, even 2,000 years later, this speaks to our hearts, and Father, I just pray, Lord, that we will be people who can move uh, the, uh, the identities that we place our identities in to the side and realize our identities in you. Not only that, that we would, would somehow see our life with the big picture in mind, that you're up to something, that there's a work going on that you wanna do in us and through us. And Father, help us to realize that may come in the, in the, in the form of a trial, a circumstance, a, a, a problem. And Lord, that you desire us to be partners in that as you do that great work in us. Father, I pray for the person that's going through a trial right now and it's bigger than they are, bigger than they could ever imagine. And Father, I just pray, Lord, you'll help them, as you said in your word, to count it, to weigh it, to look at it, to evaluate what all this is really about. And Lord, give them your mind on the matter. Father, I pray you'll help them in that. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.